I would like to carry along our theme of friendship to India today by speaking a little bit about India and two people that affected that country. One was Thomas, Tomas, or Thomas, his Hebrew name, which means twin. His Greek name is Didymus, which means twin. So obviously, it sounds like Thomas had a twin. Okay, good. You guys are a sharp crowd. And we don't know anything about his twin, but we do know that many have called him by a interesting nickname, which is Doubting Thomas. Now, I think he would appreciate if you would stop saying that. What I'd like to do is change his name to Determined. Determined Thomas. And we're going to talk about who he is and what he did. He's only mentioned in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the list of names of the disciples. But John brings voice to Thomas. We read about Thomas and something that he said in John 11. And you know that's the passage where Jesus is informed that his dear friend Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany, which is just to the east, up on the Mount of Olives, on the backside of the Mount of Olives, from Jerusalem, very close, within a few miles, that Lazarus is sick. Jesus doesn't immediately go. Jesus waits one day, two days, three days. A messenger comes and says that Lazarus is sick, Jesus doesn't go, and a conversation ensued about why Jesus isn't going, and Jesus is saying, well, he's asleep, and they thought, well, that means he's asleep. Well, Jesus says, no, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. There had also been talk about Jesus, if he were to go to Judea, to Jerusalem, that Jesus also would be dead. Because he had stirred up stuff already in Jerusalem and there were a lot of people that did not like him. And so there was a real danger. If Jesus went, he would end up just like his friend Lazarus. Lazarus died, of course, of some sort of sickness or ailment. Jesus would have been taken and killed. And so here we first hear about Thomas in John 11, 16. Thomas said, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples... Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, who is he talking about? Is he talking about we go die with Lazarus or is this we will go die with Jesus? Either way, it's a pretty pessimistic statement, would you say? So we don't know a lot about Thomas, but, and by the way, if you watch The Chosen, that's fine. I think it's good, but they they are using a lot of liberty on characters and backstories, okay? And I think you all know know that. We just don't know much about him except for right here. But it's it's pessimistic in some ways. Let's go with him and we'll go die with him. You know, kind of the Eeyore approach to life. Or maybe maybe it's pessimistic, but it's also courageous. He is saying, I will go and die with Jesus. 
So I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt here and say, this is a determined Thomas. Okay? We don't really hear much about him until about nine chapters later. Again, in John, John gives us more voice to Thomas. And this is after the crucifixion. Thomas would have been one of the disciples that ran away when Jesus was arrested. Why do I know that? Because they all ran away. And, and he was, I'm sure, crushed by all of this, that, that this one that he had put his faith in, he, he said, this is the, the, the one, this is the promised one, this is the one God sent to save us. They thought salvation was from their persecution by the Romans, by the, the Gentile domination of their land. But the, the, the reason Jesus came the first time was to save from our uh, a much worse oppression than some Roman oppression. This is the, the, the oppression of our sin. Jesus came to d- save us from our sin. And there he was, Jesus on the cross, cross, crushed. Not only was Jesus crushed as he was crucified, but so were the hopes of the disciples. And they couldn't believe that this was happening. The one they had put their, their, all their, their eggs in this basket is dead. Well, they probably thought that they had believed in vain. But then news came that Jesus arose. Jesus arose. And he was making appearances. And many people were seeing Jesus, first at the tomb, and then Jesus was making appearances to other people. And then Jesus made an appearance to all those gathered in the upper room that he had had the Last Supper with them. He had uh, washed their feet. He had washed Thomas's feet. And he makes an appearance, and Thomas isn't there. I love talking about this when I get to this Don't ever miss a church service. Okay? Why? Because you might miss something pretty amazing. Jesus makes an appearance. So they're telling Thomas about this. And and it says in John 20, verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. They were positive that Jesus had risen again because they had seen him. They were with him. Some people say, well, that's just hallucination. They just so desperately wanted him to be alive that they thought it up. Well, hallucinations do happen, but not when you don't believe. None of them believed that Jesus was going to rise again, even though he said he was going to to them. They didn't go to the tomb to find out if he had risen the third day. They went to the tomb to reanoint the body. But they found nobody. They found Jesus alive. And the other disciple says, we've seen him. But he, Thomas, said unto them, this is where he gets his moniker, except I shall see in his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. Very graphic. I will not believe. Thomas Thomas. But hey, if we're going to be hard on him, we better be hard on ourselves. Thomas. I'm going to pause the story of Thomas. It certainly doesn't end there. But I want to tell you the story of another interesting person in history. I'm going to tell you the story of Ida Scudder. 
Ida Sophia Scudder was born December 9th in 1870. She wrote letters to my grandfather, Isaac Scudder. We are related. We're not related closely, but we're related from the Scudders that came over from England in the early Protestant migration in uh, Massachusetts. But um, she wrote my grandfather and invited him to India. He never went. And so my dad heard about it. And my dad, when we had an invitation to go to India for ministry some years later, he accepted and he brought me with. And we got to experience this amazing country. It's amazing in so many ways. You can be uh, driving along in a bus. And by the way, they don't drive silently in India. Amen. Any of you that have been to India, you know they drive by sound. And I think it's the honking of the horn that reflects off the other item, the things in the way. What are the other things in the way on the road in India? Well, you might be passing a big, huge truck going 50 miles an hour with the lights off at night because you don't want to, you know, burn out your lights. Um, or you're going to be passing a bicyclist or a cow walking across the road. And when they say, holy cow, it's true. Cows are sacred in India and you don't want to hit a cow. Okay, truly. But there they are walking on the road. There's an ox cart. It's like you've gone back in time. It is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's, it's a cacophony of sound. And there's always sound in Indian. All these colors and all these flavors. It's an amazing place. And that was my experience. The first time I was just overload. And then in subsequent trips, I learned more and more about this beautiful place and beautiful people of India. Well... Ida's grandfather, his name was Dr. John Scudder. He was the first medical missionary from America to India. He came ashore by a a log canoe off a steamship and established medical missions and uh, hospitals and clinics in India. He had a son whose name was John Scudder. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. John Scudder Sr. had seven sons. All were born in India and all became missionaries like their dad. The youngest was John Jr. He married and had soon thereafter Ida, Ida Sophia. Ida grew up in the Madras province. It's called Chennai now. And as a child, Ida saw the the problems of India, the, the famine, the drought, the poverty, the disease. And she saw the ravages of these, these issues upon the people and also upon her parents who were doing everything they could to help these dear people. So she watched her parents and uncles and aunts struggle to meet these overwhelming needs in India. And she determined as a young lady to never come back to India. It wasn't the right attitude, but that was her attitude at the time. Well, she was invited, and I didn't realize this until recently. She was invited to come to America to study by D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody invited her to the Northfield Seminary in Massachusetts. And she went there in 1879. And when she graduated, she, in, in 1890, she went back to India to help care for her mother who was ailing. 
During her stay, remember, she didn't want to live in India. She didn't want to be a missionary in India. She didn't want to be a doctor in India. During her stay, she had a very unique experience. She says, one night, there were three knocks at the door. The first knock was a man looking for someone that could help his wife who was having problems in childbirth. But this man would not allow a man to attend his wife. It had to be a woman. But there was no women in the house that had any medical experience, and therefore they couldn't help. That night, there were two more knocks on the door, two more exact situations. Men looking for help, but not uh, able to provide any help because of their, their customs of not allowing a man to attend to their wives. Idis wrote about this in the morning. She couldn't believe this. She heard three funeral processions pass her house. All three women had died. She said, at that moment, she said, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to give my life to India. What she did was she went back to the United States. She enrolled in Cornell University in New York. She was the first graduating class of women doctors as they were just allowing women to be doctors in the United States. She was the first graduating class of women doctors. She had her MD and she went back to India. They say that she was very beautiful. Uh, Do we have pictures of Ida? Have you put those up already? If you have, I haven't seen them yet. There we go. So very beautiful. And she had a lot of people, a lot of quarters, but she said, no, I'm devoting my entire life to God and to India. Um, So they said she was very athletic. She would play tennis and beat most people at tennis. Um, Obviously, we didn't get those traits uh, from Ida and our side of the family. But she went back to India and she started clinics She started a hospital, and she started a college. The college became the largest Christian medical hospital in the world at the time. 2,000 beds was the Christian Medical Center in Vellore, India. And she was able to help hundreds and hundreds of men and women, but many women become nurses and doctors in India, and it's still an esteemed medical institution to this day. As a matter of fact, there are some people in this room that told me today that they had connections with Ida Scudder. One man said that his father worked for Ida Scudder. So if you have a connection with Ida Scudder, would you please stand right now? Would you please stand so we can thank you? God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And there are still relatives, I believe, of some of these people that stood that have uh, relatives that still work there at CMC in Vlora, India. And I made a a visit there one year, uh, and we were treated like royalty because of our last name. And they, they, uh, when Ida died, India uh, had a national funeral. And they didn't do that for many people, Mother Teresa, but Ida Scudder also. Uh, And I believe they had a stamp for her. And uh, most people in India know of who she was and what she did. We also went to a cemetery in India that had um, dozens and dozens of headstones with Scudder on the name. They literally gave their lives for India. We still support a ministry in Kerala, the southernmost state in India. 
and it's the Solid Rock Theological Seminary. We've supported them for years. We've gone over many times to teach there and to minister there, and also we've been to other parts of India. Uh, Just, again, find it to be just a, a wonderful, wonderful place. So Ida Scudder gave her life to India. Well, let's go back and talk about Thomas. Because what people, most people don't know is that Thomas, as most of the apostles, most of the disciples, went to bring the gospel to different places around the world. And Thomas was no different. History tells us that he went to several countries in the east, but one was India. And to this day, many Christians in India trace their spiritual ancestry directly to the Apostle Thomas. You know, they say when Vasco da Gama got to India, he, uh, Columbus couldn't quite find India and thought he had found it here. But uh, Vasco da Gama did find India. His fleet reached there in, eight, in 1480, um, 1498. The Portuguese were surprised to find Christian communities thriving, especially in the south of the subcontinent. Isn't that amazing? Why is that? Well, because of Thomas, most likely. Now, this is a tradition. It's not in Scripture. We don't hear more about Thomas from what we hear in John 20. But let's read about what changed Thomas from being doubting to determined. What changed that? History tells us that Thomas was killed by jealous Hindu priests with a spear during prayer on what's called the Big Hill near Madras, India, December 21st, AD 72. Why would this man who doubted the resurrection, doubted that Jesus had risen, why would he have gone all the way to India and given his life for that same person? Well, here's why. Look back in John 20, verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were within. Well, Thomas didn't miss church this time. Okay? This is Sunday morning. Thomas was in church. Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. What would that be like? Jesus appearing, walking through a door, no less. He is alive. Now you think someone that would walk through a wall or walk through a door, if you wanted to touch that person, you couldn't. But Jesus, you could. How do I know that? Remember, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I touch the scars. You know how gracious God is? Some people think God is, you know, trying to zap you. God just doesn't want you to have any fun. And, and if there is even a God, he's not a nice God. There's nothing further from the truth. God is a God of love. Okay? We have frailties, we have doubts, we have insecurities. Thomas, who thought Jesus was the Son of God, thought he was the Savior, doubted, doubted. But then Jesus makes a special appearance to Thomas. Look at verse 27. Then said he, Jesus, to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. What a powerful invitation of Jesus. If you're doubting, if you have reservations about, is this true? Is Jesus really God? 
I'll just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is one God in three persons. This one God created everything perfect and we sinned in the garden. And death came upon all mankind. And man started to worship everything but God. Stone and wood and and nature itself. Worshiping the creature instead of the creator. But God in his love said, listen, I need to redeem this mankind. I need to redeem this amazing creature that I made in my image. And he sent his son. Remember I said one God, three persons. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Son came into this world as predicted in the Bible, was born in Bethlehem, never sinned, did great miracles, did incredible things, and was nailed to a cross. You know what? He wasn't murdered. He gave his life. He could have called angels and he didn't because he was a willing sacrifice for you. That's how much he loved you. He was going to die in your place. We cannot pay for our sins. We are going to be eternally separated from God if we die in our sins. What is a sin? Sin is a lie. Uh, Sin is uh, disrespecting when you should be respectful. Sin is not uh, uh, loving someone the way you should. Sin is uh, hating someone. Lusting, all of these sins. We all have sin. I have sin. You have sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus came without sin and he died on a cross and he rose again. He rose again. He was not in that grave anymore. And he tells Thomas, okay, Thomas, you're doubting. Put your hands just like you said you wanted to do. Now, what did Thomas do? Did he reach out? Did he touch Jesus' nail scars? Well, he could have, but I don't think he did. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. A powerful transformation from doubting to determined. And then eventually Thomas, by tradition, took the gospel to a faraway place, a mysterious place, a place where a lot of the spices had come from uh, to the Middle East uh, and the caravans. Not a tourist destination. And Thomas brings the gospel all the way to India and is killed, is martyred there, really near where my ancestors gave their lives for the same Jesus. And so what causes people to do that? What causes people to give up their very lives for Jesus? Well, it's because they found the truth. There's one truth. There's not thousands of truths or millions of truths. There's one truth. There's one way. It's not adding Jesus to your gods that you worship. It is believing in Jesus alone. Jesus is the son of God who died for my sins and rose again. Let me show you the verse that um, really explains this well. In John three sixteen, Jesus is speaking and he says, for God so loved the world. You know what? That means America. That means um, Asia. That means India. Right? God so loved the world. Okay, so we're all equally loved by God. We're all created by God. Racism is 100% wrong. Mistreating people is 100% wrong. God so loved the world that he gave, God's a giver, his only begotten son. His name is Jesus. That whosoever, that's a word that includes all of us, believeth in him. What does that mean? That means to trust Not a religion. It's not about you trying to be better or you trying to do good works. It's about you saying, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. Therefore, I'm putting my trust in the one who was good enough. 
He was perfect. And he died in my place. He was my substitute. I trust in him. Not a priest, not a pastor, but the person and work of Jesus. Whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, should not perish, which is hell, but have everlasting life, which is heaven. That's the good news, my friends. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Have you received the gift? If you haven't, you can do that right now, today.